Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's interesting is that the witness for the majority against the Biden administration in this opinion turned out to be Speaker, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Yep. Uh, they quote her at length in saying, of course, the president can't just grant uh, loan forgiveness. And so she's really in the, the argument of the majority for saying this is not a close call. You really overstepped and overreached as a president. And this is now unconstitutional. Supreme Court says, hey, Joe Biden, you can't just wipe out kids loans or tens of thousands of dollars with their loans. The fact that they were quoting Nancy Pelosi because she accurately said, trying to speak truth to her own troops, it's illegal. May I quote Supreme Court Justice Nelson Muntz? (laughs) Chris Hayes of MSNBC with this tweet right after the decision came down. Lots of very bad things this 6-3 majority has done, Dobbs being the worst. But them deciding you are now $10,000 poorer than you were yesterday is really a hell of a thing. Everything's performative all the time, and it's tiring me out. Here's a man who quests for the truth. Can you use quest as a verb? Mm. Oh. Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation with the Goldwater Institute. Tim the lawyer, longtime good friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Tim, how are you, sir? 
I'm great. Thanks for having me back. I think quest as a verb is okay only in the context of Dungeons and Dragons. There you go. My, well then, hey, no. Were you a were you a D and D person when you were younger? I have always hated Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, I'm trying to figure why it out. the dungeons because it smacks of <laughs> cruel and unusual totalitarianism. <laughs> it always it just feels so dumb to sit there and have somebody tell you you're going down a dark hallway or something like that. It's almost it's almost as it's like it's as bad as sports but without the sweating. Yeah. <laughs> now there's a quote. <laughs> Okay, well, Speaking so of which, you talk okay. about you talk about emceeing a football game. Here's a trivia question for you. I actually once emceed a basketball game, if you can believe it. Or How not. did that in- happen? Was there literally <laughs> no one else to ask? <laughs> so, totally. The worst possible. Some idiot got the idea that it would be really funny, since I don't know anything about basketball, to have me emcee <laughs> the local game between the teachers versus the police department. Uh, well, they were and right I about that. That would be funny. Part- I was smart enough to realize what a bad idea this was and brought along a friend who knew a lot about basketball, so it worked out okay. But that was, yeah, it was one of the weirder moments of my life. <laughs> wow, how odd. I almost hate to get back to the recent Supreme Court decisions, I but I feel like we should. So uh, where, where would you like to start? What's got your hackles let me, let Let's say this about yesterday's affirmative action ruling. Yesterday's decision was Brown versus Board of Education for Asians. Yesterday's decision was saying we can't keep ignoring the fact that these race preference schemes that the colleges insist on keeping in place are a form of discrimination that is purposely keeping Asian Americans out of our colleges, aimed at keeping out hardworking kids who don't deserve to be treated in that way. And yesterday was a great vindication of the principle that all men are created equal. And it's really a shame that the liberal side of this that keeps denouncing this opinion is in the midst of their denunciations are proving why it was necessary by totally ignoring the fact that Asian Americans are, are an important ethnic group in this country that deserve to have their equal rights. It's always being treated as black versus white, and they're Asians, as Justice Thomas points out. Asians are totally being omitted from the equation in all of these discussions. So yesterday's decision was Brown versus Board of Education for Asians. So since you're a student of this sort of thing, are some of the opinions more pointed at fellow justices than normal? They seem like they are to me. It, yeah, it certainly seems that way. Justice, Tom, uh, Justice Thomas's concurring opinion, which is almost 60 pages long, he's been waiting basically his whole career to write this opinion, is aimed at the dissent, particularly Justice Jackson, with a, a uh, it's, it's ferocious. Now, I agree with it, and so I love the fact that it's ferocious, but it is quite, quite direct. And Justice Jackson kind of steps back in her response. She has she responds in only one footnote where she says, I don't know what he's talking about. I didn't say the things he's accusing me of saying. But if you read her opinion, she actually is. Well, and today, Gorsuch saying in the, the, the student loan thing to, I think it was Sotomayor, I can't believe we're looking at the same case. I mean, that just seems yeah. snarkier than usual. <laughs> it does. Now, now, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think the American people deserve to have the, di- the severe legal and constitutional differences between the justices aired in public these people work for us and we have a right to see what they think both about the law and about each other but it 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 must mean that the office christmas party is a little tense (laughs) yeah i would think so for those who are not uh, super hip to what was in the uh, the decision the concurrences and that sort of thing what was uh, clarence's thomas's what was uh, thomas's main point well here's my favorite point in the opinion that i think really boils it all down he says quote today's 17 year olds did not live through the Jim Crow era, enact or enforce segregation laws, or take any action to oppress or enslave the victims of the past, 
whatever their skin color, today's youth simply are not responsible for instituting the segregation of the 20th century, and they do not shoulder the moral debts of their ancestors. Our nation should not punish today's youth for the sins of the past, end quote. I think that is the perfect summation of the argument against these race-counting admission schemes that punish innocent people, particularly Asians, for crimes that even their ancestors didn't commit. A lot of these people came to the country after Jim Crow, after slavery, and yet here we have these affirmative action programs that count people's skin color in order to give preferences, supposedly to remedy the crimes of centuries before the victims even arrived. So is this going to have tentacles reaching out into other parts of American life, like hiring or anything else? Well, it's, it, it, there is a notable footnote in the main opinion that says we're not talking about military. And it basically invites the next lawsuit to be about how military academies and military recruitment, military deployment, how all of that stuff they, they also have their own affirmative action programs, and I think that's the next big front that we're going to see coming. And the court, in this opinion, explicitly says, we're not going to talk about that now. We'll talk about that in a future case. Well, I wish I had Katanji Brown's actual quote in front of me because she said something along the lines of, so it's okay to have black people in our bunkers fighting our wars, but not in our college classrooms. Yeah, well... I, I don't know, you know the ideological blinders of people who are so wedded to affirmative action. As you mentioned earlier, you know, 70 percent of the American people think that these programs are wrong. And the, the people who treat yesterday's opinion as being some sort of, you know, terrible setback for the civil rights movement are very much out of step, not only with reality, but with the way the American people see reality. And yet they act as if they are obviously right. And it, it's really a way of insulating themselves in a, in a way that I think really shows up in the opinion. So, and, and we can jump back and forth as, as we like, but uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this student loan forgiveness decision. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm well aware of my own ideology, but I'm also enough of a, a, a neutral observer in these things to feel like I have reasonably well-based opinions. And I told my three adult kids, do not make any financial plans based on your student loans being forgiven to the tune of $10,000 or whatever. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. It's so clearly executive overreach. There's no way the courts let it through. And that wasn't just based on the the composition of the court. What in the world were the arguments of the dissenters saying it's fine for the executive branch to do this? Well, Joe, you have more confidence in the courts than, well, frankly, I do. Because uh, <laughs> you, you were... You were right about the law, but the law is one thing, and what the courts are actually going to do is a totally different thing sometimes. This time, you were, you were right. The court did what the law required, but that doesn't always happen. No, the, 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 the case is about this, a statute that says that the secretary, that is the president, can modify the, the, the obligations of these student loans, and that's the word modify. And the question is, does modify mean that the secretary can wipe out really an enormous amount of, of, the, of money here. Here's what the opinion says. The economic and political significance of the secretary's action is staggering. Practically every student borrower will benefit. Uh, uh, it, the, he says this is a, a third. It amounts to nearly one-third of the government's $1.7 trillion in annual discretionary spending. So what this is saying that the secretary of, of education can just unilaterally wipe out an enormous amount of student debt that, and with a stroke of a pen. Now, Congress is supposed to be making the laws. They're not supposed to be handing this authority off to the president. And yet the president is claiming, oh, well, you know, we have, I have the authority to basically make the law because Congress has given me this power. 
that really is staggering. And it's a good example of why you and I are always talking about the dangers of the administrative state, the dangers of regulatory bureaucracies where the courts just stand back and let them just make the law however they want to. This is a perfect example of that. Incidentally, it also overlaps with the, the affirmative action case because the dissent, Justice Jackson in her dissent, she says, well, what we ought to do is trust the experts. The experts say that affirmative action programs and race counting and all this is necessary to equalize society. So we ought to trust the experts. Well, if you, you this whole attitude of, well, we should have this elite group of bureaucrats who decide how we live our lives in order to accomplish justice. has That notion is really stuck in the minds of the leftists on the court. You know, I've been flogging your book, Freedom's Furies, uh, lately, repeatedly, uh, partly because I found uh, the the parts of the book that deal with the <sighs> flirtation is the wrong word. It's just a, a, a preference for totalitarianism among the left in the early mid 20th century was shocking to me. It was part of history that I wasn't really familiar with. The idea that, look, we'll get experts together. They'll plan everything and we'll bring you a utopia. Yeah. And that went along with the Supreme Court creating these doctrines about deference and not protecting property rights and not protecting economic liberty. All those things are going on at the same time. And we are stuck with the legacy of that in many ways. To this day, the Supreme Court refuses to enforce property rights, refuses to enforce economic freedom in wide areas of life. And the reason is because of the legal precedents that date back to the 1930s when this country and, in fact, all of all of the world civilizations really kind of bought the idea that di- dictatorship was a good thing. The person who's really responsible for this largely is Benito Mussolini. We, we often forget about Mussolini because we always think about that era. We think about people like Hitler. But Mussolini invented the idea of this of fascist dictatorship in the 1920s. And for almost an entire decade, everybody's like, wow, he makes the trains run on time. He's really getting things done over there. Sure, maybe he murders his political opponents, but he's really getting the trains to run on time. And that attitude still exists today in the minds of a lot of people who think that democracy and persuasion and argument are just time wasting. And what we ought to do is just force people to do what we think is right. Here, I think, is an important question that I've asked before, because we're going to hear the president called this a rogue court yesterday. You're going to hear a lot about that over the weekend and probably on the Sunday talk shows and that sort of stuff about this is a right wing outlier court, you know, unbalanced or whatever they call it. Where does this court fit in? If you had a one to five scale, one being the most liberal, five being the most conservative, like where was the Warren court or where were most of the courts in modern history and where's this one? Well, when you're so far to the left, any movement to the right is going to look extreme. So that's why you get reactions from people like that. The, the reality is that this is a moderately conservative court, that in some ways they're doing what they think is correcting the errors of the past. And so that can seem extreme, for example, in the Dobbs case and so forth. But for the most part, the court is, is not picking fights. For the most part, its decisions are not particularly radical. However, my initial reaction when I hear the president of the United States say that the Supreme Court is a rogue court, my question is, what would you prefer? An obedient court? A court that takes off its hat and bows to you and says, yes, sir, whatever you like, sir. We'll do whatever you like, sir. We have a separation of powers in this country in order to balance these three branches, legislative, judicial, and executive, against each other to protect individual freedom. It's not supposed to, the courts are not supposed to just say, oh, well, the president says it, it must be okay. Oh, well, if Congress says it, it must be okay. The role of the court is to enforce the Constitution, and that means striking things down that violate this nation's fundamental law. And that's what they've been doing. So 
I, I don't understand why we call Oh, it's a rogue court. The court is not supposed to be obedient. Well, it's going to be painful and expensive, but I'm going to get that screed tattooed on my chest during the 4th of July vacation. And I love the idea that the Supreme Court has one collective hat. Add, that, add the cost of that tattoo, Joe, to the, to the student loans you're going to have to help repay. That's a good point. Uh, Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Tim, you brought it. Solid gold. Thanks a million. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.